I would like, if I may, to take you on a strange journey meant for but few. Take my hand and we'll ramble with Reverend Campbell and Ninefence's devilish crew. Welcome to Nine Cents. Nine Cents is a satanic perspective of our modern world, and I'm your host, Adam Campbell. It is great to have you today. I'm being joined by Jesse. How are you, my dear? Wonderful. Yeah. Peachy. <laughs> it's been a little bit difficult getting this episode together. Um, I've had a lot of back and forth with a lot of different people trying to get uh, different things happening. But it's July the 5th, and we have a fantastic show for you this week. I'm really kind of excited. We have a wonderful Nine Cents Letters. Um, segment. Uh, one of you dear listeners wrote in with a trouble, and we're going to try to correct it, or at least give you some advice along the way. We're going to have a little something different with Heather Height. Uh, episode 6, not quite sure of the title yet, and uh, I Dream of Jesse, of course. Jesse is here with episode 27. What's this one called? All the cool kids are doing it. Well, I'm sure <laughs> there's a lot of uh, relevant pop culture references or, I don't know, at least one, I'm just totally guessing, um, <laughs> with that title. I'm looking forward to it, as usual. And we're going to close it out with the creature feature. I just watched Inside Out with the family and uh, maybe shed a tear <laughs> during it. <laughs> I'm such a pussy. All right. Um, so uh, that's going to be the show. Yeah, I think that'll do it. Let me start by saying this week I recorded... The next Satanists on Satanic Cinema episode, which is uh, Nine Cents Presents Rosemary's Baby. And this is with Erin Casavaugh. You know her, of course, from uh, Down to the Crossroads and Dorian Gray. And uh, he has a new book out and everything. So uh, it's actually a really great episode. I'm in the editing process right now. I'm putting together a trailer for you guys to get a sneak peek about what the episode is going to be. And then, uh, I don't know, maybe a couple weeks I'll let you know when it's going to be available. So stay tuned for that. It's really great. Rosemary's Baby is a fantastic show. Um, of course, I uh, wanted to keep you guys on the update here. Satanism Today, three more weeks. So there's a Facebook page now devoted to it, uh, to the new segment on Nine Cents. Of course, it is Magister David Harris, and it is his Satanism Today. And it's going to be the same format you guys are all used to from back in the day. Except uh, it's going to be forward to today. That's right. <laughs> Satanism That's today, today. Today. <laughs> In three weeks. Not literally today. Yeah, I don't know how it works. Oh, false advertising. <laughs> Something to do with some date. Anyway, look forward to it at the end of the month. It's going to be fantastic. And I want to encourage all of you, rate and review Nine Cents podcast, this thing that you're listening to right now. Uh, let us know what you think in every way that you get it. So if you tune in or subscribe via iTunes or Stitcher or uh, YouTube, however you get us, if there's a way of rating and reviewing, let us know and do so. And if you don't, if you just go to the website, there's a way you can do it on the website too. Just go to the contact dropdown and uh, testimonials. Let us know what you think. It means a lot to us, but more importantly, it spreads the word about nine cents. Uh, you're the reason we do this stuff, so give back in the only way we're asking, and that's ratings and reviews. Okay, so it is. Did you do anything for the fourth? Yeah, we. Uh, yeah, we talked about this before, where I go to a parade that's actually kind of you know Americana, old yeah. school. And you go to a parade that's like totally not worth going to and completely <laughs> modern and so did you go to that parade because i went to the other parade i didn't <laughs> oh <laughs> i okay. absolutely didn't i've been in a a war i mean i'm talking epic scale like steven spielberg is producing it war with my swamp cooler so we're budgeting out for next year to do uh conversion to uh central air but we're just not quite there yet, and we have three months of blistering, record-breaking heat, and my swamp cooler just died on me. And so I've been trying to fix it myself, 
and I just don't want to buy a whole new one for two and a half more months or two more months now as it stands use you know it's it's a waste of money in my opinion so I'd rather just either try to deal with it or try to fix it and I've been trying to fix it and it's it's like every hole I patch up a new one dons its ugly mug and it's just holy 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 swamp cooler that is just not working it's so frustrating and it's so damn hot in here so hot so that was my 4th of July, was escaping to a friend's who had a working <laughs> swamp cooler and just sort of hanging out with them and lighting up fireworks with them, their family. And, and it, was, it was nice. No parades, no nothing, just good company, lots of drinking <laughs> and some good And food. cool air. And, and cool and air. S- and sweet, sweet cool air. I didn't <laughs> sweat once and it was amazing. I, I really do feel like I'm back in Georgia. Like, I I loved my time in Georgia. I was training for the military. And this was back in 99, 98. I think it was 98. Uh, Maybe even 97. But, you know, back in the... Anyway, it was insanely hot. You get out of the shower and you're already caked with a coat of sweat. That's just how it worked. And we were used to it because, hey, it's Georgia. What are you going to do? But now, hey, it's Utah and it's the exact same thing. And I don't understand it. Don't quite get it. But just trying to deal with it. Um, yeah. So anything stand out ish for your holiday, sir, at all? Just a constant reminder of how depressing family can be. But, you know. Ah, <laughs> <laughs> oh, family. Yeah. yeah. <sighs> <laughs> okay, well, I won't pry because. It, uh, it sounds pretty bad. <laughs> if it's anything like mine, it does get to be, I, I'm, I'm assuming you're meaning extended family, not, not your man. Um, no, no, extended, extended. Okay, He's yeah, great. Yeah. yeah. Um, mine's the same way. It's, it's, if it's on my side, I'm, I, you know, you always go into it and with, I don't know, some basis of understanding, like it's going to be X bad. And for some reason, some way, somehow, they managed to get to Y. Just that one step worse. And you're just like, how is this possible? I've known you for so long, and yet you continue to put me, to, to let me down with uh, just you being you. I don't get it. I don't get it. <laughs> All right, well, how about we start this wonderful show with a wonderful listener's question in Nine Cents Letters? Sounds good. Yeah. Though I am an active member, I do not speak for the Church of Satan. Dear Adam, I work with what I consider a psychic vampire. He was assigned as a mentor, but we are at the same level, or in the same position. He's not a boss. He doesn't ask me to do favors, but takes up a lot of my, t- a lot of my time allotted for prospecting clients by giving advice and constantly gives his opinion about my work. On the surface, it appears he's mentoring. I've thanked him for the feedback, and I try to end the conversation to go about my work, but he continues. I've asked him to to back off, yet he continues. He said things about my husband and my relationship and our relationship, you know, that my husband's female coworker will come on to him. He's implied that a coworker I'm friendly with was stealing my client, and when I disagreed with his advice, he said I was wasting his time with me and alerted management and little was done about it. I'm worried that, or I alerted management and little was done about it. I'm worried that if I'm aggressive and tell this guy to fuck off, I'll get in trouble. I have no desire or reason to change jobs because of him. How do I professionally and calmly get this guy off my back? Feel free to tell me if an experience you've had with an a-hole coworker. Well, you want to take this Mm. first? Sure. I think the, the best solution here is to go almost to the Pollyanna extreme where you just take any like, okay, so he says, you know, yeah, your, your husband's going to be cheating on you. And you just say, well, you know, if my husband, you know, that happens to a lot of people. And if my husband happens to find someone he's happier with, it might be best for both of us to just end it. I, a lot of people go through with this, and that might be the best thing that could happen to, <laughs> to our relationship. And if he says, oh, you know, your coworker is going to steal your client. Well, you know, if I lose a client to a coworker, that's going to be a really good learning experience for me to find out what I'm doing and just take 
every single thing he says and find the silver lining to that dark cloud. And that, that dark cloud, that's going to do two things. First thing it's going to do is it's going to annoy the shit out of him because he's looking for drama and you're just not giving it. And the second thing is it's going to train your brain to be looking you know, it, it sounds stupid to always look for the silver lining in the cloud, but if you can train your brain to do that, you will be unflappable. Not just with this guy, but with anybody that comes along. So that's my advice. Be Pollyanna. Wow, that's actually really good advice. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> uh, have you have you ever run into a coworker that's like this? Yes, and I have done this. So you've and taken the Pollyanna approach personally? Yeah, and it, it does, they, they stop, they talk about you, but they mm. don't talk to you, which is fine. <laughs> yeah. Oh, wow. Yeah, it's surprising that you would go to management and they still can't seem to, to take care of it on their level. Um, and it says, I mean, the only way that you've sort of breached the subject with him is when you disagree with his advice. And so I'm inclined to agree with Jesse on this and just saying, well, if disagreeing with his advice didn't work and letting management know didn't work, then you do a little lesser magic here and and agree with him and understand what he's saying and why he's saying it. I mean, a lot of the time, at, at least in my opinion, when coworkers are doing this, it's be just like what Jesse said. They're looking for drama. They're looking to entertain their mind because what they're doing isn't very stimulating or maybe not fulfilling. And and so they're trying to disrupt things to make it interesting a little bit. Um, some people do this on purpose, but I think more often than not, people don't realize they're doing this. And they're just sort of bored and they're trying to create some intrigue, some drama in their lives. Um, it's destructive and it's short-sighted, but a lot of people do this a lot of time. Uh, my wife deals with this at her professional uh, career as well. And, you know, I've, I've been in uh, work environments, uh, the military, for example, where you run into this type of behavior a lot and you can't get out of it. You can't leave the job. You have to deal with it. And I had a situation where I had uh, an NCO who was not uh, over me in my chain of command, uh, but just sort of parallel uh, he ran one division, I ran uh, the communications section, and he was a higher rank, and so he liked to sort of lord that over me and try to get me to, you know, have my soldiers do things for him or do things for him directly. And I literally would just stand my ground and just let him know that I, I respect who and what you are, I respect your position and what you do, but I don't care and I will not. So I did not take the Jesse advice approach on this. And I dealt, you know, face to face with this dude for nearly two full years. And it was a pain in my ass and it was a constant. But the reality is, is if, you know, I, I was very short sighted. I did not even have someone giving me great advice <laughs> like Jesse gave me. I was just sort of, you know, at my wits end trying to deal with this uh, in, in the only brunt hammer way that I was educated in ha handling it. Um, definitely not as uh, well uh, versed in lesser magic as I am now back then. So um, it was very much, a, you know, a situation where in public <clears throat> around other uh, soldiers, he was very condescending and he uh, ate up a lot of my time uh, trying to educate me in the ways that I was behaving as a poor soldier or as a poor leader, depending on the situation. But then uh, in private, he would come up and say, hey, look, you know, I'm, I'm sorry I did that. I was just sort of losing my cool. And he would sort of try to repair any type of professional relationship by apologizing for what he just did, recognizing that I had never done anything bad in the first place. He was just in a bad place in his life or in his relationship or, you know, making excuses for his shitty uh, behavior um, and I was sort of a patsy for that whatever was going on in his life so that might also be a situation that this uh, individual is he, he's using you to sort of uh, deal with his own personal anguishes um, yeah, I would you, not any you... oh sorry go ahead and finish your thought Finish your thought. I was going to say, I would not uh, take the approach that I took where you just keep hammering at him because that leads to a large amount of discord on a daily basis. But if you're not willing to, you know, obviously you don't want to leave your job over this, but if you're not willing to just step to him 
then there is, of course, the sort of uh, explaining the situation to him, saying, look, I do not like you. I'm going to be honest with you. I do not appreciate what you're doing. It's going to cause discord at work, but if you're open and honest about it, don't disagree with the advice he's giving. Just let him know that he is wasting your time and you do not appreciate it. And that if he doesn't stop, you will take it to the managerial level. If he doesn't, and only say that if he doesn't know that you've already tried to and try to use that approach. Um, I would suggest, hands down, try Jesse's approach first because it's probably going to work and you won't have to have that brunt head on experience. <laughs> Yeah, I was just going to say, you bring up a good point that it might be boredom. Because I was kind of assuming malice on this guy's part. But you, you're right. I mean, people get bored and they start drama just to, subconsciously just to entertain themselves. And that could be all this is. And if this is just boredom and you make it difficult for him to entertain himself by, by being a difficult person and saying, hey, I'm going to go to management, that could work. It kind of mm -hmm. depends on why he's doing it. Yeah. I mean, I don't know if you've tried either. And unfortunately, you're not here, so we can't do a little back and forth. But um, you may want to also try doing the exact same thing to him. Start being critical of what he does. You're the same professional level. If he's not your boss and he's acting like he's giving you good advice and uh, opinions about his work, do the same to him and be brutally honest and see how he likes it. Chances are he won't. <laughs> he probably really, really won't. He'll be upset and he'll leave you the hell alone. Of course, no matter what approach you take, you're going to have to deal with him talking shit about you behind your back more likely than not. So, you know, if you're okay with that, then it's weird. I mean, she's talking about um, stealing a client, uh, being in a position of mentoring. Uh, I, I don't know. What, what do you think this, this individual does for a living? Client. I'm not sure. I'm not sure what she does for a living. But if if somebody at her level is looking to mentor her, then that to me suggests that it's somebody at her level who's older than her and has had mm -hmm. been in the job longer. And so it's like, okay, well, if you're so great, why are you still doing this? Why yeah, haven't you been promoted? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Keep yeah, that I mean in mind. It's it's really interesting. And, and you know, who knows? If you do just agree with him once or twice, um, first of all, don't ever bring up personal anything at work. But, you know, if you do start just going along with him, maybe he'll just peter out like, okay, there's no drama to be had here. You know, she's listened to my advice. Uh, maybe I should just target someone else <laughs> and bug someone else. Um, a client. Oh, this makes me curious if it's like a like an agent, like a design or an ad agency, or if it's um, talent, like, you know, a model or an actor. Oh, I was hmm. just thinking regular sales, but I have no idea. Oh, yeah. That, even that. Hmm. I hope this isn't like Burger King. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to be disappointed if this is like Taco Bell. <laughs> My client. The dude that's at the drive-thru. That dude always comes through for his senior coffee at 6.30 a.m. You can't steal him from me. Yeah. He's my client. Uh, first of all, you're doing a great job flipping those hash browns. I do recommend leaving them in for two more minutes. Now, it's going to get darker, but crispier. And everyone likes it crispier. <laughs> like, that's the, the advice he's giving. Uh, <laughs> always go with a smile. Or it could be like office. Is it office space? Just have a little more flair. <laughs> uh, yes, yes. <laughs> I know. Great it's movie. You're required to have six items of flair. But you could do more. <laughs> you could go the extra mile with extra flair. Um, yeah, who knows? And you just don't take it personally. Here, here, this is the other thing. No matter where you go, no matter what you do, there's going to be pieces of shit that work with, for, or under you. And you just have to deal with other human beings sometimes. And it sucks, but you just have to do it. And that's why it's really important to uh, do a little lesser magic, give them what they're expecting, or turn the tables on them. Um, examine them look at the type of person they are learn as much as you can and that should inform how you should approach them don't think of this as all about you think of it as all about them they're doing this because it's something they are lacking something they need use that 
and uh, you should you should get in a better position. And and let us know, you know. I mean, it would be interesting for us if you don't want any uh, personal information to get out there. Just uh, shoot us an email and let us know what what advice uh, what it's done for you, if it's worked or not. It'd be nice to hear. Yeah, I'd all right. Say how throw, about we do? I'm sorry. What's that? I was going to say throw that out for anyone who's had a, a nine cents letters answered, whether mm-hmm. it was me answering or one of the other co-hosts or whatever. I'm sure everybody would love to hear whether the advice worked or not. It's actually a really good point. Why the hell haven't I gotten responses on this stuff? You goddamn slackers. Respond. Respond. <laughs> you email for advice. We give it. Let us know what, what happened. Let us know how good or horrible our advice went. Maybe they're just homeless now because they took our advice and they can't <laughs> listen anymore. And so they can't, they can't read you out. Oh, and then I'll have to take them in. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Jesse's taking in homeless people now. (laughs) Uh, Reach out to Jesse for all responses. Um, um, (laughs) She has a halfway house. (laughs) It'll be good for you. All right, let's do a little something different. And then, yeah, and I dream of Jesse. I'm looking forward to this. All righty. Sidewalk Ends, Shel Silverstein. By the time I discovered Shel Silverstein's children's books, he had already been a featured cartoonist for Playboy with over 20 installments, 
and an accomplished writer of most notably and sometimes decidedly adult theme songs for Dr. Hook and the Medicine Show. Yesterday, my youngest son told me that one of the creators of a show on Nickelodeon was being criticized for having written and directed an adult film called The Cuckold. Some blogger was complaining that writer-director Jonathan Butler was sneakily trying to expose children to the fetish by creating Bell and the Bulldogs, a show about a cheerleader who becomes a star quarterback, because certainly a comedy about the laughable situation of a girl playing football could only lead to women everywhere forcing their husbands to watch them get deep-dicked by a frighteningly well-endowed Jamaican. I mean, it starts as a joke, people. Next thing you know, girls are actually believing they can accomplish anything, which obviously leads to the enslavement of white men with tiny, flaccid penises. Has society changed, or do dummies have too much access to too much information? Or is there a certain type of person who can cross these boundaries with little or no consequence? When I decided to help out my husband in his endeavor to become a pornographer, I joked, well, there goes my chance at a Disney contract. But is that even true? I mean, fuck it. If Vanessa Williams can star as the trash queen in Elmo's Adventures in Grouchland and Sarah Silverman can voice a character in an animated feature film, Wreck-It Ralph, then fuck limiting my experiences out of fear that I might be judged by some slob with a grudge against women and too much time on his hands. The decision to be as wide open as my husband David and I are about what we do is not for everybody. I'm not saying that at all. There are consequences, and being honest about how much of a fuck is given about those consequences is step one. At least it was for me. I already had quite a bit of experience not giving a fuck when I met and married my very public Satanist husband. I still remember before signing the release to be in the first and so far only full-length feature fetish film I starred in, the woman we were working with said, are you sure you want to do this? Because after this, you're a porn star, whether you like it or not. I said, fuck it. Weighing your desire to publicly be who you are versus the consequences and deciding to say fuck it isn't just about not caring. Incorporating not giving a fuck into your way of life is all about personal responsibility. You can't decide to walk through Central Park naked with a martini in one hand and a joint in the other and get all indignant when you get arrested. I mean, you can, but you'd be a stupid asshole. Saying fuck it means you have to be ready to stand alone and be honest with yourself about what you're up against. No matter how many people say they support your naked martini drinking pot smoking in the park movement, you know deep down who will be there protesting your arrest. In this case, very likely nobody. So yeah, do what you want, live your life fearlessly, change minds, protest policies you think are wrong, affect change in the world while you're on the planet if that's what living this life you have to the fullest means to you. Fuck it. And thanks for listening to this week's Something Different with Heather Height on Nine Cents. Um, find me on Twitter at Heather Height, on Facebook Heather Height, email me at heatherheight at yahoo.com. Say nice, polite things to me so I don't have to verbally castrate you. Have a great week. Hail Satan.
Did you ever want to sell your soul to the devil? Have all your wildest dreams become reality? Or just sign in blood on the dotted line? Of course, not everyone can find the crossroads, so let me make it easy for you. Tune in every month to Nine Cents, and I'll bring you Down to the Crossroads. We'll discuss the blues, the devil, and everything in between. Down to the Crossroads with your host, Aaron Casabaugh. Every month, only on NineCentsPodcast.com. Jesse! What do you want? Well, first, Jesse, I'd, I'd, I'd like you to address me as master. I, I am your master, after all. Yeah, yeah. Sorry. Yes, master. That's better. Now look, I've got guests coming over tonight, and I want you to entertain them. What, do I look like a belly dancer? Uh, I, I assume that was part... I mean, the outfit, it, it kind of suggests... You may be used to dance. Listen, the gin put me in the bottle. He forgot to add the preservatives. Now, the outfit may be wrinkle-free, but what in it ain't. You don't like it? Call the number on the bottle and complain. We all fill various roles in our lives. Employee, parent, student, boss, child, etc. And every one of these roles comes with a set of expectations others have about how we should be filling these roles. These expectations aren't generally a bad thing. They help form the social contract that helps keep our species moving forward. And when we choose to take on a role, it's often with the foreknowledge of, the acceptance of, and perhaps even the enthusiasm for doing what will be expected of us. The problem with expectations is they tend to get piled on, never cast off. Do an extra good job at work and suddenly everything, anything less means you have a bad attitude. Buy her roses on a whim one Valentine's Day and you're committed to doing so for as long as you're with the girl. Give the dog a bit, a, bit of, a bit of your dinner and you'll be torturing the pup if you don't do it again and again at every meal. Failure to meet the new expectation you just set will result in other people feeling disappointed in you. It's enough to make some aim for mediocrity. But for the rest of us, following our passions can and will lead to increased expectations. If these aren't negotiated and managed, they will become a problem. As expectations increase, so too does non-compliance. The husband who tries to meet his wife's every desire is easily tempted by the mistress who, at first at least, wants nothing from him but sex. The stressed parent wanting a break from the kids will lie about working late and go off drinking with her friends. Rarely do these rule breakers see themselves as bad people. More often, the deviance is justified as what enables them to be a good spouse or parent or employee. Nonconformity. All the cool kids are doing it. So often have I met people who, rather than manage expectations, become enslaved by them. And so often, these people are willing but unable to meet these unrealistic expectations. So I found it quite interesting to read a paper published on this on this same failure to meet unrealistic expectations within the microcosm of the U.S. Army. The article is titled, 
lying to ourselves, dishonesty in the, armed, in the army profession, and was put out by the Strategic, Strategic Studies Institute, part of the U.S. Army War College. The study began by looking at training requirements and quickly found that the necessary hours needed to complete all of the required training was greater than the amount of hours allotted to training. In a nutshell, meeting expectations is not possible, so everyone fudges numbers. This is only one example of noncompliance in the Army. Other examples get more disturbing. The expectation for how to report contact with the enemy have become so cumbersome that soldiers are copying and pasting similar encounters into their reports, or worse, not mentioning the encounters. The study shows these are not a few bad apples. These are dedicated soldiers who honestly feel their time is more valuably spent working the mission rather than creating a PowerPoint that, for all they know, never gets looked at. The examples get even more disturbing. Sometimes a high-ranking officer needs a file reported on, mon on a Friday that summarizes data filtered up from the ranks. So if he needs his data by Friday, his subordinates, subordinates need it by Thursday. So their subordinates need it by Wednesday and on down the line until the soldiers actually collecting the data are left with no choice but to report on events that have not yet occurred. What makes this so bad is that everyone knows it's happening. It's the great facade that all is well. It's the lie everyone in the military takes part in. And it's happening with greater frequency to where dishonesty is no longer seen as lying, but instead is described as, in the words of one soldier interviewed, quote, prioritizing and accepting prudent risk, unquote. The article refers to this as ethical fading. Everyone's doing it. You're telling those in command what they want to hear. And you know your time is better spent elsewhere anyway, so why not lie? Most soldiers accept the expectations that they will be brave, upstanding, and honest. So they justify the dishonesty that, that having too many regulations forces on them. But they aren't dishonest in consistent ways. And this is where solipsism comes into play. To some, soldiers, to some of the soldiers researchers spoke to, the accidental discharge of a weapon is considered no big deal and will go unreported because it's not a priority and time could be better spent. Others said it should be a top priority and immediately reported. Each soldier decides for his or herself which rules to break, which requirements to pencil whip, and when to lie. But what if one soldier considers a rule low priority and another insists the same rule be adhered to? How can these soldiers trust each other? How can they trust that supplies are sufficiently stocked, vehicles properly maintained, medics thoroughly trained, if to other soldiers these same line items get pencil whipped, checked off as done, because that's what the CEO wants to hear, and it can't all get done, and the odds of it needing to be true are low enough to make it a prudent risk to accept so that other matters can be attended to. When the rules can't be followed, everyone has to make up their own rules, so there aren't any rules. And there's no basis for trust. The authors of this article make the case that in order to reduce dishonesty and restore trust in the military, leaders at the top need to make some tough decisions to reduce expectations to manageable levels and then restore the culture to one where a soldier's word counts for something. That may be way more than you've ever cared to know about military practices, but I bring it up for a reason. Conformity in civilian life is a choice. Conformity in military life is a requirement. And yet, soldiers aren't conforming. They can't, so they don't. And they find a way to justify it in their own minds so as not to feel like they're being dishonest. Some of them do it with a twinge of guilt, but others do it with a sense of clever rebelliousness, telling them themselves that the clueless, CVO is, the clueless CO is hearing what he wants to hear, and meanwhile, they're quietly getting the real job done. The expectations of the U.S. Army make nonconformist virtue out of noncompliance necessity. And if the people who have to conform aren't conforming, why would you assume the herd at large is? Conformity in civilian life is a choice most of the time. But are the expectations put upon us any less unreasonable? We're all supposed to be there for our lovers, be there for our families, be there for our employers, and for our communities. Oh, and of course, you need to be there for yourself as well. No one likes a person who doesn't take care of his or herself. I understand why LeVay 
warned against herd conformity, but herd nonconformity is more insidious because when it's laced with a sense of clever rebelliousness, it feels like independence. It feels like you're a wolf in sheep's clothing. It feels cool. And if you're a child, it is cool. Kids start out in life with no power to negotiate expectations. Clever rebelliousness and passive aggression are among the few avenues available for a child to express their will. But better tools do make themselves available eventually. I'm reminded of a cartoon I saw of a crowd of people on a train. Above them is some text drawn in with the bubbles that indicate a silent thought rather than a spoken word. The text reads, I am the only individual in a world full of sheeple. But the little thought bubbles are coming up to the text from every single person on the train. When it comes to society's expectations, nonconformity is for the herd. To step outside the flock, neither passive resistance nor clever rebelliousness are good enough. Sure, all the cool kids are doing it, but so are all the lazy adults. Take control. Put the effort in to negotiate and manage other people's expectations of you so that you can forget about what other people think and follow your passions. Wow. Very, very nice. Thank you. I like that. I'm, I'm a little caught off guard. You took a, a military route to this. That's awesome. I <laughs> it's all true, people. It's all freaking true. Whatever article she got that from. Um, I ran into that stuff myself. Um, that's, that's great. I like that. Uh, I don't know. I, I often find whenever people bring up the ideas of conformity or, um, nonconformity, it's always in like a planned way. Do you think that the majority of people who are traditionally called out as conformists or nonconformists do it in an active way or they're doing it in a passive way, meaning they're planning to act that way or they're just doing it because it comes naturally? I think, generally speaking, um, people, if you're conforming, it's because you're not paying attention. It's because whatever is going on is, is not that, like, I, I don't drive like a madman because the speed limit is fine for where I've got to get to. Mm -hmm. You know, if I needed to get somewhere, if I needed to make an eight, eight if I needed to make the Kessel run in less than four parsecs, <laughs> that's right. You know, I at that point, then I would consider myself a cool nonconformist for you know going above the speed limit. It's what you pay attention to, and you pay attention to the areas where you've gone outside the boundaries and and cut your own path, and you don't pay attention to the areas where it's just not that important to you. So you go along with the herd, and you think nothing of it. And I, so I think a lot of people get the sense that they are nonconformist when actually I think nonconformity is kind of the norm. Interesting. Not that I've never bragged about being a nonconformist. So I don't want to like be. Sound like I'm beating up on people. Oh, you call yourself a nonconformist. You're so stupid. No, I've done <laughs> that myself, you know? Yeah. <laughs> no, it's, it's a really, it, it's a tough idea because at least for me, uh, I never really think about it until I do, you know, I think social media puts a spotlight on this type of behavior, whether it's active nonconformity or conformity um, or not. It, you just you're forced to think about it more because you see such a, a large sample in such a convenient scope, you know, as, as a, a feed of a wall feed. So you get to like examine people's at least declared behaviors uh, much easier than you would naturally just by walking down the street. Um, and yeah, like you, I, I don't like there's a lot of things that I don't even think about that would be considered as going along with the herd like speed limit for example I, I I'm really relaxed but I don't ever think of it in terms of whether I'm going along or, or going against anything I just think of it in terms of I have other things to worry about so why should I add like something that I have little control over meaning other drivers why should I add that stress when, you know of, of speeding and getting pulled over and getting a ticket or just trying to get there seconds earlier than I would normally or whatever that is when I could just not worry about it <laughs> and yeah, instead I, focus on others. I mean, I, I, I've i seen people post pictures of like their rose gardens and it's these black roses or, or deep red. 
and I think they're cool. I think they're pretty as hell. But I also kind of like yellow and pink and mm-hmm. all these colors that are not generally considered satanic. And so, you know, I'm I'm very conformist in the flowers that I will plant in my yard. And I don't care because I think they're pretty. But that's, you know, it, that doesn't mean that I want to conform with the herd. It just means in that particular area, the conformity just doesn't stand out to me as being something important. To other people who will deliberately grow black roses and only have black gardens or black flowers in their garden and moonlight gardens and things like that it's really important and i'm not trying to say that it shouldn't be mm-hmm. it's just to understand that you pay attention to a specific area and there are areas that you're not paying attention to and you're probably conforming in them yeah yeah i don't know i mean do you think there's ever a point in a person's life where it just it doesn't become important anymore whether they're conforming or not. And they're just saying, you know what, this I'm doing this because I like it. My individuality overrides your sense of conformity. And so I'm just going to do what I do. Like, is there a point where people just don't care anymore and they just own it? For example, well, you're growing the yellow flowers because you l- genuinely enjoy them rather than trying to stick to some perceived ideal and just growing black. Yeah, and I think that goes that goes back to what the article said where... To conform becomes so burdensome that it's impossible. So now you can't conform. So now what are the rules? You can't follow all the rules. You're going to pick and choose. You basically become your own God by default, whether you think of it that way or not. And I think that's where most people find their individuality is when the complexity necessitates it. Wow. Well, that is brilliant. Thank you so much, Jesse. That's that's a fantastic art. And, and it's poignant, too, no matter the time, because this is a social construct that we've created. And, and especially, I would say, especially for teenagers and any counterculture movement, uh, i.e. Satanism, where we are dramatically different, but sometimes that means that we have to uh, try a little hard to be dramatically different rather than just being natural and you know, honest, it's, I think it's something that we should all really genuinely think about from time to time, but not let it consume yourself. Um, and if you are going above and beyond, wasting all of your time, ignoring aspects of your life in order to try to fit in this unrealistic box, uh, because it's just expected of you to do so, really deconstruct those expectations on your own. I, I mean, take a step back. I think it is really important to to have a realistic sense of uh, not only self, but expectations in in order to be yourself, you know? And, and uh, I don't know. It, for me, taking down those, those walls and, and looking like I don't know. You end up being more individualistic when you when you stop trying to be an individual. <laughs> Ironically, um, fantastic job. Where can people go to find a little bit more about you or, or your thoughts online? Uh, they can email me at, at idojesse at gmail dot com. I'm on Facebook at, as Jesse Twain. And I have a blog, which I haven't updated in over a month, but it's not dead. I promise. It's not dead. I just didn't get to it. Um, and that's drafts from a satanic windbag.wordpress.com. I do have all of the last uh, episodes um, waiting to post. I usually what I do, uh, for everyone that knows, if, if you do go to Nine Cents in order to get the audio version of Jesse's blogs, um, like isolated from the show specifically, uh, I usually wait till she posts the blog and then I take a snippet of her blog, link to the blog and present the audio version. Um, I haven't done that because the blog hasn't been updated, but it will happen and we will get these up episodes up. Uh, I hear from every single person uh, how much they adore your segment, Jesse. And so I want to make sure that everyone knows that these are going to be up and uh, there's no, you know, so, it's, it's just process. That's all. So I, I need to conform to their expectations and get these <laughs> things posted. Dun, dun, dun. <laughs> I don't know. We may never see him now. Shit. <laughs> All right, let's uh, let's do a little creature feature. And now, ladies and gentlemen, the creature feature. <laughs> 
right, so Inside Out. I went literally this uh, early afternoon with my family to go see this. I saw some trailers about it. This is Disney Pixar's uh, animated film Inside Out, uh, released this year. I did not want to see it based on the trailers. It was through listening to other people's reviews of it that I actually drew up enough enthusiasm to go check it out. So the basic synopsis is, um, after young Riley, the little girl is uprooted from her Midwest life and moved to San Francisco, her emotions, joy, fear, anger, disgust, and sadness, conflict on how to best navigate the new city, home, and school. So these emotions are personified by little cartoon characters uh, with their own, you know, personalities encapsulated by their name, joy, fear, anger, disgust, and sadness. And they sort of uh, run Riley's mind. And everyone has these uh, in their head. It's just a a visual way of understanding motivation and uh, behavior. And it's actually brilliantly done. I did not think this was going to be good. I did not think I was going to enjoy this. And, you know, as a young man, I watched a show called... uh, Inside Herman's Head or Herman's Head, where it was the same basic premise, but it was, you know, live action people doing it rather than cartoons. But this is actually brilliant. It's a wonderful way to try to understand our own motivations. I found uh, a lot of scenes in this show where it's these different emotions acting out uh, basically how this girl is going to interact with this particular moment, this particular experience. And in the absence of those um, uh, realized uh, uh, coping mechanisms or, or in the absence of coming to a conclusion, a consensus on how to interact, you would see her lack of interaction and just shutting down. And it's a really great way of, of understanding your own motivations through this uh, cartoon realization of it because it is poignant it is it is realistic it, if you are lack in in life in general if you have an experience that you don't know how to deal with uh, you can easily explain it by saying well I cannot find the angle to find joy or fear or anger or disgust or sadness and so I have no reaction I'm sort of overloaded with stimulus or emotion and so I won't give stimulus or or, uh, reaction or emotion and you especially see this in children if you have children where they shut down or they only show one emotion because they don't understand how to react otherwise and letting kids see it in this way, I think really gives them a handle on a, a ground. And they're obviously not going to learn how to master their emotions just from seeing one cartoon, but it gives them a base under like underlayer, undercoating of paint in order to really start figuring out why they're acting this a certain way, why they're thinking a certain way. Of course, it is going to require a little bit of, uh, um, uh, parental guidance, a little bit of, uh, uh, self-awareness, but, you know, talking with my kids afterward and bringing up situations that they had experienced in this context of distilling it down to specific, you know, super, uh, convenient emotions, unrealistic, super convenient emotions. It, it, it was actually a really pretty, easy way for them to understand their behavior, why they were saying what they were saying or doing what they were doing or behaving in the way that they were behaving or not. Um, and I may be putting way too much on this little cartoon, but that's everything that, it, I, like, it, it literally, it was like fireworks going off in my head, like, oh my gosh, this is a wonderful teaching tool. This is something that I can actually explain lesser magic. I can explain uh, even greater magic. I can explain uh, individual understanding of oneself through their experiences on a level that they will actually understand without trying to talk down to them or confuse them or like I'm doing to all of you right now trying to explain this. (laughs) Uh, It's actually a genuinely good fucking show. And I was a hundred percent surprised and delighted by it. I mean, I was... I'm, I'm an emotional individual anyway. Uh, I, I, it's easy for me. I, if I watch a war movie, chances are I will cry through this war movie. I don't know why I do it. I just do it. Uh, and this 
it brought it out. It brought the tears out a hundred percent. It it was just, <laughs> it was crazy how much I enjoyed this movie. Um, some of the actors in it are like, <clears throat> excuse me, Amy Poehler, Bill Hader, Louis Black was fantastic. He was he was anger, <laughs> so perfect for <laughs> the role. Well cast. Yeah. I mean, it was a really, really wonderful show, and I do highly recommend if you have children or if you just maybe want to see a really simplified uh, way of um, a simplified version of uh, experience management, self-awareness. This is a really good show to sort of get a really base base understanding of it in a very entertaining way. So, uh, plus it's just, it's, it's a fun story about a girl trying to deal with uprooting her life at a young place. And we can all in some way identify with that, uh, being the young girl that is, (laughs) we all identify with that. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, if you, if you haven't seen it, uh, and you do like Disney Parks, our movies, uh, you're, you're definitely going to love it because that it's the same quality of film. Um, but the message alone, I would recommend for people who don't necessarily like this type of cartoon or movie, because there is a lot to be gleaned from it that has nothing to do with the cartoon itself. That has everything to do with the, the sort of message behind it. And it's weird because a lot of these movies, you know, I've, because I have children, I've gone to a lot of these cartoon animated movies they're becoming much more complex and less geared toward the children and much more geared toward the adults that are taking the children there. So it's almost like the cartoon aspect of it is an afterthought. It's an aside. And the actual meat and potatoes of the movie, the message of the movie, is directed straight for the adults. It's a weird bait and switch, but it's a good way to get you to go see the show and get the message anyway. If I can tag onto that, because I haven't seen Inside Out, but what you were just saying there, I saw a bunch of people posting about raving about the Lego movie. Um, And I'm like, come on, seriously? Lego movie? (laughs) And so, but enough people were, okay, I'll get it, whatever. And that was a great movie. I mean, not like, not like great, like, you know, platoon great or something, but it was, <laughs> yeah. it was a great message in it. And it was, it, and like you said, it's something that I think adults might get more than children, mm-hmm. but yeah, it's, sure. it's, you know, I, and, and you bring up a good point that many of these kids movies, there's stuff in them for adults. Definitely. There has been for a long time, but I think you're right that the trend more and more is that. They're targeting two audiences and they're consciously targeting two audiences. And so it's almost like I wonder if they've got one team that writes for adults, one team that writes for kids and another team that combines the two storylines because they hit both targets so well. Yeah, that's actually that's a good thought. I'd I'd like to know how they do it, actually. (laughs) Um, (laughs) It's amazing, man. Just, you know, they in the story, they explain the absence of a specific emotion through, you know, their loss trying to find a specific memory or find their way back. They explain the absence in a um, adventure scenario, but it's a real situation of, of if you have gone through a position of wanting to leave your home or run away or rebel or rage against your parents or hate your step-parent or, you know... If, if you've gone through those extreme emotions, you realize that there are absences of certain aspects of your personality. Like, you are no longer who you were days or moments before, and you don't even understand why you're not the same person. You just know that you don't feel the same, and so you're reacting the way that you're being, fe- the, the way that you're experiencing yourself which is so dramatically different than you are normally. And kids can't get it. They just don't understand it. They don't understand why. This was a really wonderful way of trying to help explain why. Um, And if you're only using certain types of emotions to run your life, how that is is, uh, received by other people and how they see you and uh, how you can turn it around even. It's... I, I think I am putting way too much on this, but it did realistically make me see uh, some of my own behaviors and like, wow, you know what? 
I need to apply much more lesser magic. Because the reality is, is if you need all of your emotions, you cannot just say, I'm going to be happy all the time and just expect that to just be. You know, a lot of our emotions lead to other emotions that are part of what it means to have a healthy mind, be a healthy human being. And so, you know, I've often said that I love feeling sad. Well, I actually get a lot of joy out of having moments of being down, being able to isolate myself and say, my pity party will start at this time and it will end at this time and I will just deal with that moment and, and just, just be that emotion. And it works. And then afterward, I feel fantastic because I gave in to that need without disrupting my entire life. This show does that where, it, you know, it explains that Joy is trying to take control and is trying to own this young girl's mind. But because you do that, every other emotion is being thrown out the side and it's ruining who this individual is. You have to give in to disgust. You have to give in to sadness. You have to give in to anger sometimes. Do it in a, in a, in a um, responsible, for your age, way. And understand as a parent that it's okay if your kids freak out. It's okay if they're just drowning in sorrow or if they're drowning in fear or anger. Be there for them. Let them experience that. Don't try to correct it because they will naturally correct it on their own. And if they don't, then you can help them. You can give them tools on how to correct it. If you do witness them drowning in one emotion over another one. Um, it's, an, it's, it's really, I mean... Is this something that you've ever thought about that you do need to experience all of, allow yourself, not you must experience them, but you must allow yourself to, if the need arises, experience the full range of emotions rather than trying to lock yourself into just being happy and good? Yeah, I mean, we evolved to have all those emotions for a reason. They ex mm -hmm. they serve a purpose. And it's it's managing them that's important. And I, and I mean, you talk about how this is great for kids. I would point out that, you know, as an adult who has no kids, mm. if you're self-conscious about, you know, viewing a movie or reading a book or whatever that's geared towards kids because it's below you, well, how stupid would it be if you don't get the point because <laughs> you never watched the movie? I mean, yeah. and it's not like we're talking, go read Humpty Dumpty. We're saying, we're telling you this movie has aspects that were made for adults. So it's not like you're going to be bored. Go watch the movie. I'm going to eventually. I'm not going to get to it this weekend, but I'm going to watch it. Yeah, I look forward to hearing what you think about it when you do. Um, anyway, it's out now, Inside Out. I highly recommend it. I absolutely... I won't buy it. It's not. I don't think it's that good. My daughter said on the way out of the theater that she wanted to buy it, um, like that day, <laughs> as if we could. I was like, sorry, I'm not going to happen. But um, I don't know. I, I got everything I needed to get from it from the first viewing. Kids will want to see it over and over again. And if you don't have kids, check it out anyway, because there's a lot to be gleaned uh, from emotional management in it. It is really worth it. Um, so that's that's Inside Out. Wow. That that went really fast, it felt like, that whole show. Yeah, it did. I don't feel like I get enough time with you. <laughs> I'm going to... I'm, I'm going to be it. like that that woman who looks over at the guy and says, was that it? You're done? <laughs> really? You're done? That's all I get? Come on. No, I feel bad. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. You know what? Next time we do this, I'm going to just throw in every segment that you and I can do together. <laughs> So it's like a three-hour show just so I can get my Jesse fix. <laughs> That's I'm going to be like, too much, Adam. I'm yeah. worn out. <laughs> I have my limits, Adam. Come on. Yeah. Um, all right. Well, people, thank you so much for tuning in as usual. Uh, that's going to do it for another show and we hope you enjoyed it. We would love to hear from you. Visit the website, nine cents and send your correspondence to info at nine cents If you send a letter to us and it's featured in a nine cents letters, or if we just respond without having it featured on the show, uh, your feedback based on, uh, the resolution is uh, appreciated. We love to hear if our advice worked or not. That's going to help us get better. It's going to help you. It's going to help everyone. So let's keep the correspondence going. We really, truly do appreciate it. Uh, you can visit us in social media, Satanet, Facebook, Google+, Twitter, MySpace, uh, YouTube, iTunes, everywhere that you get 9 cents. Leave us a rating. Leave us a comment. 
Uh, you can find show notes and uh, upcoming segments, uh, upcoming information on the social media pages as well. Download the show Mondays via the RSS feed found at 9centspodcast.com. I did just go through a big argument with Stitcher. So uh, long story short, they had two different 9 cents feeds. One that ended last December and one that has continually gone on. The problem is, is that the majority of people that were getting us on Stitcher were using the one that ended on December. That's now fixed. All of the feeds have been pushed over to the old URL. It's on the website. If you can't find it, it's also on uh, all the social media pages. I just updated it today. So, uh, congratulations if you thought 9 cents ended, if that's the only way you got us, because you got a lot of catching up to do. <laughs> I mean, a lot. But we're back on Stitcher normally uh, from here on out. We're on YouTube and uh, iTunes as well. If you'd like to learn more about Satanism or the Church of Satan, visit churchofsatan.com. Read the Satanic Bible, people. Read the Satanic Scriptures. If it resonates with you, study. That's what Satanism is all about. Study, not worship. If it doesn't, that's okay. You can still tune in and enjoy. I know I do actually have listeners that are not Satanists. It blows my mind. Uh, but hey, I appreciate you guys tuning in. I really do. Uh, and I keep in mind that the only reason why we do this is because of your interaction, because you appreciate it. We're not getting paid for this, people. <laughs> We're not making anything. It is all our energy putting out to you for free weekly. Give us interaction. That's all we ask. Spread the word. Once again, thank you for joining me. As always, I'm your host, Adam Campbell, being joined by... Jesse. Wonderful Jesse, whom I miss, 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 miss desperately. I hope we can uh, connect again soon, my dear. Me too. All right, well, until then, hail Satan. Hail Satan.